G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Well, the death of Vileen White, you might recall, that 70-year-old grandmother at Red Bank Plains Shopping Centre on the 3rd of February. It shocked uh, so many of us uh, all over Australia. And even closer to home is that Vileen was a committed Christian believer, and even a listener to Vision Radio. She may well have been listening right now, if she were still alive. Now, Violene had gone to the shops with her granddaughter when she was allegedly stabbed to death by a 16-year-old boy. Well, our conversation today doesn't pass any judgments on that specific incident. But it does illustrate, doesn't it, that communities all over Australia are reeling with violence and crime. Well, Andrew McColl is back with us today. He's Family Voice Australia State Director for Queensland. And Andrew McColl, always great to talk to you. Welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. And it's good to be back with you again. Andrew, the story of Vileen White, a 70-year-old grandmother, it has touched the hearts of people all around our nation, hasn't it? Well, it has. Um, she was the carer for her blind husband and they lived with their daughter and six-year-old granddaughter. And um, as you were saying, Neil, she'd gone to the shops with her granddaughter when she was... A, when when she was allegedly stabbed to death by a 16-year-old boy who, who was, against the advice of the police, on bail for three counts of armed robbery. And then he stole her car. And I guess this is the interesting thing, and while our comments don't relate today directly to what that case will unfold in the times to come, we do want to talk about crime, and we want to talk about the Bible. And there is something pretty significant to uncover here, and uh, I'm aware of some of the things you've been thinking about. But uh, let's start with, you know, does the Bible tell us how to deal with crime? Let's start with something fairly simple there. Well, yes, it does. Uh, frankly, God is the first aggrieved person in cases of crime, indeed all sin. After all, he created the earth and he sustains it. And so criminals are violators of his world and his lawhood. God instructed Israel that justice and only justice you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now there'll be some who will say, yeah, but Andrew, Australia is not a theocracy. But just in that context, let me quote from the late David Chilton in his 1987 book, Paradise Restored, where he said, the fact is that all law is religious. All law is based on some ultimate standard of morality and ethics. Every law system is founded on the ultimate value of that system, and that ultimate value is the God of that system. 
the source of law for a society is the god of that society. So that means that a theocracy is inescapable. All societies are theocracies. The difference is that a society that is not explicitly Christian is a theocracy of a false God. Interestingly, Andrew, earlier this week, uh, one of our guests on 2020 made a really uh, amazing and uh, very strong comment. Government becomes an idol when God is removed. And, of course, we're talking government, we're talking law, we're talking about the way that law's enforced. So, uh, so if you take God out of the situation, um, the idol that you create in its place may not look like uh, the sort of law that's enforced when we think of the God of the Bible. Uh, of course, uh, when government becomes an idol and law is so easily changed, uh, of course, that's going to end in chaos. So there's, there's challenging things around that sort of thought. But just to reinforce here, when you're saying, uh, when we talk about crime, God is the first aggrieved person in cases of crime. Um, some people don't always catch that, but that's pretty important, isn't it? Well, it is. And the fact is that, that this is God's world. And the first man he put here and the first woman both uh, sinned against God and God held them to account for their sin and, and put them both out of the Garden of Eden. Now, God was gracious to them. God gave them promises and those promises to them are extremely important for us today. But what we can learn from from the scriptures is that is that the idea that criminal law should focus on the criminal's reformation or well-being is alien to god's law god's law in criminal cases focused on the victim the aggrieved person had to be given proper restitution and this is particularly clear with the law concerning the apprehension of a burglar in exodus chapter 22 verse 2 which says if the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. And what does that mean? Well, it means if a householder finds someone in their home who's broken into their house, then if that, if that householder picks up a weapon of some kind and strikes the burglar and kills him, that's the end of the story. That, that burglar did something very foolish and he lost his life in the process. So that's how serious God takes the taking, the, the, the breach of his law. So the whole matter of thou shalt not steal, and, and, it, and including in that is trespassing on someone's private property, well, if you go trying that, you might come off second best and that's the end of the story. So we find, Neil, that the foundations of criminal law are in Exodus 20 through to 23 and are then extrapolated in other passages of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And Exodus 20, of course, lays out the Ten Commandments and the following three chapters provide us with details of their application. So the laws turn when it says that an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand or a foot for a foot in Exodus 21 verse 24 doesn't mean that the criminal shall lose his eye or his tooth, his hand or his foot. It must be seen in the context of financial compensation. And that's clear from verse 22 of that chapter, which says, he shall pay as the judges decide. 
So if under biblical law, Dale, a, a gang of four youths stole your $20,000 car, they take it to the bush, they torch it, then they are convicted, you'd be entitled to at least twice the value of the car from them, meaning $40,000. That's restitution for you because you've been the aggrieved person after God from this whole business. You've lost your car. You can't get to work. We don't have the privilege of listening to you on, on the radio anymore. Now, what's going on? <laughs> yep. Now, those four years might say, look, Mr. McCall, we've got no money. And I would say, that's not my problem. When you go to work and get a job, we can take it out of your pay. So Neil gets his $40,000 or more. And Neil says, thanks, fellas. Do we think they'd try that again? <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Uh, the, the key word, I think, as you're describing it, is restitution and uh, putting into a modern context uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, how we would see that today by way of a remedy for the wrong that is done. So that if someone commits a crime against you, restitution is, and as you're describing it here, a biblical way of thinking about how God would deal with crime, that he's on the side of the victim and would see a remedy, a, restu a restitution uh, being the primary, uh, the primary goal without so much um, focus on the one who has committed the crime. In fact, uh, sometimes we feel as though in changes in the way that we think these days uh, that we ought to be very sympathetic to the criminal and not the victim. But what you're saying is, biblically here, the victim's the focus, not the criminal. Absolutely. And, and, and Rushduni points out that in biblical law, the goal is not punishment but restoration not the infliction of certain penalties on criminals, but the restoration of the godly order. The centre of attention is thus not the criminal, but the righteous man and the total godly order. So when Moses gave the law in Exodus, I'm sorry, when God gave the law in Exodus to Moses and the children of Israel, he expanded on the revelation he'd given to Noah in Genesis. Thus, we find that murder, as he defines it, is never an accidental event. It is deliberate and premeditated. In fact, the phrase the Bible uses is lying in wait to harm someone. So in those contexts of true, proven murder, capital punishment was always required. Today, that would include abortion. That would mean we stopped the killing of 80,000 Australian babies every year. Would that make a difference to the population of Australia? Of course it would. This has been God's standard of justice from the beginning. God's law permitted no exclusions from justice for people who were supposedly mentally ill or for minors. Everyone was subject to his law. Murder is a fatal assault on a person made in God's image. And God has said to us in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, that he hates hands that shed innocent blood. Now, as believers, we want everything brought to the feet of Jesus, including the law. That's an aspect of us being involved in discipling the nations. Well, some would say, well, well, why is that, Andrew? Well, justice is a vital aspect of discipleship. 
when the gospel came to India, the law for Hindu widows changed. They were no longer tied to their husband's funeral pyre and horribly burnt to death because a man of God by the name of William Carey stood up for them. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 21.15 that the exercise of justice is is joy, I'm sorry, for the righteous, but is terror to the workers of iniquity. So conviction for capital punishment always required multiple witnesses and criminal slander could be a capital offence, for there is such a thing as we would all understand as a malicious witness. Now, as Gary North points out, the death penalty is final. Its beneficial effects for society are twofold. It restrains the judgment of God on society and it it provides a deterrence effect deterring the criminal from future crime. He dies, deterring other criminals from committing similar crimes, there's a fear of death, and deterring God from bringing his covenant judgments on the community for its failure to uphold covenant law, the fear of God's wrath. So capital punishment is God's way of telling criminals whether convicted criminals or potential criminals, that they have gone too far in committing certain crimes. It also warns the community that God's law is to be respected. So much to unpack from what you're sharing there, and we won't have time today to do that, but it might be a spark that gets some conversations going because capital punishment Uh, Well, that's one of those things that we don't do that in Australia. And as you're saying, and uh, that uh, capital punishment is a biblical way of deterring the sorts of crimes we're talking about. And when you mentioned murder, of course, we'll recognize because there were some safe cities that people could go to in Old Testament yes. times because there's a yep. difference between murder and manslaughter or the yes. uh, or the, the accidental killing of someone to uh, to that one that way of killing people which might be intentional. And you yes. did mention something very, very, very controversial in there and some listeners might even be confronted by that, that when you include abortion in that intentional killing of a human being, uh, yes, you can align that with murder. And so it brings into context, doesn't it, the way when we think about God and crime, the way that he might actually be more embracing of these things than our general populace are here in (laughs) Australia today. But let me ask you about the church in all of this, because some might think uh, as you deliver a biblical foundation like that, which is so, so confronting to today's thinking, some might be thinking, well, what about the church's role in all of this? Uh, what are churches being taught? What about the leaders of churches? Don't they understand a biblical response to crime? Uh, what are your thoughts here about the church? Well, the church must preach the gospel and see the law of God enforced in society. Furthermore, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 4 tells us that those who forsake the law, God's law, praise the wicked, but those who keep strive with them. Biblical law is healthy for the community. Psalm 19 tells us about this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. 
sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. So we can and we should firstly preach the gospel and secondly teach the law of God. It will be a blessing to the listeners. It, it gives us God's holy standards and God's warnings to stay on the right track and do as he tells us what to do. And it might be wonderful fuel for that water cooler conversation that you might have today at work or that dinner time conversation when you're talking about the youth crime crisis that's gripping the nation right now because so many people are concerned about that. So many people have their faith in government as a saviour and uh, there's a certain way in which the Christian believer needs to be thinking about that when we're voting at the ballot box uh, to see those who are in power and the sort of ways that they'll deal with justice issues like this. Hey, uh, how do we conclude this? We started talking about Violene White, and we said that the conversation around uh, the Bible and crime uh, is not specifically about uh, Violene White. But there are all sorts of issues that so many listeners in their own neighbourhoods will have been seeing happening. Uh, So many people will have had a car stolen or some sort of crime committed against them. And they're wondering, you know, what's happening? Are things falling to pieces in our society? What has God got to say about these sorts of things? How do we we wrap things up here? Well, what we know, Neil, is that the death of of anyone by murder, and and I'm including Violene White in this context, uh, you know, was an act of wickedness and criminal behaviour demands a response. Now, what will it be? God's law or man's? Now, as believers in Jesus, we should be saying, deal with criminals the way the Bible commands us. That will mean vast improvements for our society with greater deterrence for criminality along with restitution from convicted criminals for their victims. And all of this is an important aspect of Christians discipling the nation because authority must begin with responsibility. And, hey, isn't that a good place to start? (laughs) Hey, there's so much in today's conversation and it might spark a few listeners uh, to go and do a little bit more research, a little bit more study and get into these things a little deeper and discover that there is a godly way of thinking about how we ought to be dealing with crime in our communities. Andrew McColl is Family Voice Australia State Director for Queensland. You can connect with Andrew through the website familyvoice.org.au. Familyvoice.org.au. I'll just mention too, Andrew's written a number of books. Um, they Shall Become One, The Significance of the Godly Family, Inherit the Earth, And The Great Christian Revolution, a series of studies dealing with some of the applications of the Christian worldview. Andrew McColl, thanks so much for another great update today on 2020. Always a pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.